The New Testament reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Some Greeks were among those who had come up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and made a request. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Jesus replied, The time has come for the human one to be glorified. I assure you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their lives will lose them, and those who hate their lives in this world will keep them forever. Whoever serves me must follow me. Wherever I am, there my servant will also be. My Father will honor whoever serves me. Now I am deeply troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this time? No. This is the reason I have come to this time. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard and said, It's thunder. Others said, An angel spoke to him. Jesus replied, This voice wasn't for my benefit, but for yours. Now is the time for judgment of this world. Now this world's ruler will be thrown out. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to me. He said this to show how he was going to die. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The very first time I preached the gospel was in response to a flyer posted on a campus bulletin board. I was a junior in college discerning a call to ministry after cycling through a series of other imagined callings in my first few years. State Department, Russian diplomat, Broadway actress, classical archaeologist, to name a few. I'm not sure why I thought I could be any of those things, including a preacher. It was 1989, and I had never actually heard a woman preach, but I signed up for the sermon contest anyway because it sounded kind of fun, and I really needed the $100 scholarship. You may think that there were a lot of people signed up for the contest, but there were only two students. Now, since then, I've probably seen the inside of more than 250 pulpits I've preached from, many of them inscribed with sayings that just the preacher sees when you step up, like, take off your shoes, this is holy ground, or he is risen. But this, my first pulpit, as it happened, for an inscription, when I stepped up into it, the saying inscribed in large Gothic script was, Sir, 
We want to see Jesus. Took me a minute to get over that. The sir part, not the Jesus part. Nevertheless, I persisted, and I've never looked back since. I'm convinced that all the preaching of the church, all the soaring music and the heartfelt prayers, the faith formation, the sacraments, the mission efforts, the justice work, and the pastoral care come down to this one longing. We want to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus. Even if we might be surprised that Jesus does not always meet our expectations. He has been known from time to time to flip the script and the tables, to tweak the tradition or ignore it, to skewer expectations of what we think we know about him, and to invite us all the while into something deeper and more transformative. Today's story takes place in the city of Jerusalem and it's Passover time, and thousands of people have gathered from all over the world crammed into the city walls of Jerusalem, which if you've been there is a pretty tight space. And in this wild mass of humanity, there were a couple of Greeks who came up to the disciples and wanted to talk to Jesus. It seems these travelers listened in on the conversation of the disciples and they heard, in particular, a Greek accent, Philip from Bethsaida. And so they approached Philip and they asked him in Greek, can we see Jesus? And that's so often the question in the Gospel of John. Can we see Jesus? Philip went to Andrew, and the two of them went to Jesus and said to him, there are two Greeks who want to see you. Now, you'd think that Jesus would have answered them directly. After all, this is the dream question for any spiritual leader, right? A major part of our calling is to help stir up longings for a life in Christ. We know we can't manufacture the desire for God in any human life, nor can we instill commitment in others. But once that seed of longing begins to blossom and a person asks to see Jesus, it's an open invitation to speak of grace and mercy and forgiveness. But Jesus doesn't go there. There's no sugarcoating of the gospel here. There's no beating around the bush. There's no fuzzy warmth or an invitation to share a pot of Arabic coffee in a Jerusalem cafe. Jesus is on the way to death on a Roman cross in just a few days, and he knows the only way to be truly seen is to complete his mission, to go up against the forces of evil and death, the ruler of this world, Satan himself, that God's glory might be revealed. So instead, Jesus responds, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And those who love their lives will lose them. And those who hate their lives in this world will keep them forever. Whoever serves me must follow me. Wherever I am, there my servant will also be. And you know, we're never told in the story if the curious Greeks even heard that response or whether they stuck around long enough to see what Jesus was talking about. Were they in the crowd when the voice came from heaven? Did they think like some who heard the noise that it was just thunder? Or like others that it was an angel speaking to Jesus? 
Were they still in Jerusalem to witness Jesus being lifted up on the cross, or did they look away, not wanting to get involved in the politics of the empire or the religious establishment? You see, I'm not at all sure we know what we're asking for when we want to see Jesus. For many people who linger around the edges of faith, there's often more of a concern to be good for God than acknowledging a need for God. We all fall into that. Thomas Merton says, we can't find God unless we know we need God. And Jesus says in some translations of the Beatitudes, how blessed are those who know their need for God. That desire for God is the beginning of faith. We want to see Jesus. But the places where Jesus hangs out aren't always fields full of lilies or green pastures and still waters. Wherever I am, he said, there my servant will be also. It turns out that in another gospel, chapter 25 of Matthew, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus tells us exactly where he will be. You remember. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who receive good things from my father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. For I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick? or in prison and visit you, then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it for me. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Are we quite sure about that? Are we ready to die to selfish concerns and vain ambitions? Are we willing to cultivate discomfort and build courage for discourse on the hard questions? Are we ready to dismantle sinfulness, prejudice, addictions, and racism? Are we willing to move beyond the grace and goodness of personal salvation and eternal life to embrace the suffering of others in this life we have been given? The prophet Jeremiah spoke of God writing on our hearts so that we can be reshaped and reformed from inside out. Is that what we want? Outside the hopefulness of more readily available vaccines, which is wonderful news, this has been a rough week. You may have seen that the Vatican issued a declaration that same-sex unions are a sin the Roman Catholic Church cannot bless. And while it was perhaps not surprising, it still stung deeply for LGBTQ folks and their allies and families. A line saying that God does not and cannot bless sin stood out in its reduction of loving relationships to moral offenses. 
One Catholic activist said, the fact that our church still denies people a sense of sacredness about their relationships is deeply painful to those of us who hold fast to our faith. So to anyone out there listening who may be struggling with this declaration, we stand with you. Our own denomination denied such blessings for far too long. There are churches where LGBTQ individuals and their families are openly welcome. Fairmount is such a church, and there are others out there too, including Catholic and Methodist ones and others. Despite denominational stances, there is a place for you where you can bring your authentic self and those you love, a place where you can see Jesus and others can see Jesus in you. So please don't give up. Last week also brought the tragic shootings at three different spas in the Atlanta area. Six of the eight people killed were women of Asian descent, raising fears they could have been targeted because of their race. We know that violence against Asian Americans has been on the rise since the pandemic began, yet another sign of human sinfulness that manifests itself by projecting blame and fear onto others and the extreme reaction of individuals with violent tendencies and easily available firearms to kill defenseless victims. Lord, have mercy. A dear friend of mine who is Asian American posted some comments on her Facebook page following the killings. Uh, it was sort of a public witness to the personal heartbreak happening in households throughout the country. She asked this, how will I protect my elderly parents from anti-Asian violence? Are my kids being vigilant as they go about their daily routines? Who still believes Asian women are weak and subservient? All the ones I know, she says, are fierce and kind of scary. And have I been a strong and consistent ally to my friends from marginalized or minority communities? And it's her last question I want to sit with a bit because I wonder if that's where Jesus is today. And I wonder if that's where the church should be. I think Jesus' words in our gospel text today about hating life in this world refers to the fallen world's alienation from God. World in this context is a system with destructive elements, a fallen realm, the dominion of violence and death that needs dismantling. And that fallen sinful system is something to resist, to say no to, in order that we can say yes to the things of God. Have I been a strong and consistent ally to my friends from marginalized or minority communities? Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed that it was only as the church loses power in the face of atheistic politics that we rediscover that the view from below is the Christian view. He said, we have for once learned to see the great events of world history from below, from the perspective of those who suffer. After the Nazis came to power, Bonhoeffer's Finkenwald community became the basis of the confessing church, which opposed the Nazi ideology and practice as incompatible with the Christian faith. The Finkenwald community was closed in 1937 by the Gestapo, but continued covertly. 
and Bonhoeffer wrote circular letters to the members every year urging them to be brave in standing up against the evil of the times. Only a man who will speak out in favor of the Jews has any right to sing Gregorian chant, he wrote in 1942. The question for Bonhoeffer as a pastor was not whether it was right to get involved in political activities, but whether given the situation it was permissible not to. He objected to the self-defensiveness of the church whereby self-preservation was more important than working for what is right and where detachment from the world was seen as a virtue. The church does not exist to propagate and preserve itself. The church is the church only when it exists for others, he said. We want to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus. May we be willing to be reformed again and again, dying to self and rising with Christ.